If this weekend did not get you excited for football, then I don't know what will. It was football galore. Saturday, college football. Sunday, the NFL was back. Week one for the NFL. It technically started on Thursday, but it was one game. But Sunday, we got a full slate of football, and it finally feels like it's actually back. You know, we had the preseason and stuff. We had college football a week before, but now it kind of feels like it's fully back. I had my first Okay, before we do that, some janitorial stuff. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. It's a little early today. I am posting on a Monday because I will be gone Tuesday through the rest of the week, basically. So I'm posting on a Monday. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. We're going to recap week one in the NFL, some other college football notes. Um, and yeah, we're just going to talk to all, it's going to be all football today. No, nothing else, you know, nothing else really matters right now. It feels like it's just if football season is back. So we're talking football and that's all we're going to talk about. And it's going to be a good time. So we're going to recap everything. I unfortunately will not be able to recap the Broncos game because they play Monday night, which I'm recording at basically three 30 in the afternoon on a Monday. So that game hasn't even started yet. So we'll talk a little bit about that next week. Uh, we'll kind of recap two games at one for the Broncos, uh, but we're going to talk about all the other NFL games that happened this weekend. Talk about some college football stuff. It's a football galore episode. Football galore. Okay, so welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. You can listen to us anywhere. Anywhere you want to listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you're going on a run or something and you like to have the background noise, you can listen to us on your phone. You can go to sharedmedia.com and listen to us on your phone if you want to do that. But you can go listen to us on any of your podcast uh, podcast places or on, on any of your devices, wherever you want to listen, feel free to listen. Make sure you hit that follow button so you know when we're posting Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. That's the name of the podcast. You know that already if you're here, but if not, if you're new, that's the podcast. Um, Make sure to give me a rating as well, if you would not mind, uh, in any, on any of those podcast platforms. It help me, helps me out a bunch, kind of gets me in the trending area and all that sort of thing. Gets me out to different audiences that help out a bunch. So I'd really appreciate it if you did that. That is the janitorial stuff. Welcome to the show. I'm James Timberlake. Let's get into some football. So we started Saturday, college football. A couple of good games here on the list. We had a couple of good... Well, first, let me start with my story. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I started... I started talking about my story and then I and then I skipped over to the janitorial stuff. So let's talk about the story first. I never used I'm skipping past Saturday a little bit here, but we'll jump back to Saturday. I started I I used NFL Red Zone. I, I signed up for it for the first time. I always hear people talk about it. You know, it's always talked about on Twitter. You always hear about it on the podcast that you want to listen to on your sports podcast. It's like a must have if you're a football fan. And I, you know, I always took that with a grain of salt because it feels like everybody says that about you know, certain add-ons to your cable package or whatever it is. If you're a movie fan, you got to have stars or Showtime or whatever. You got to have this streaming service or what have you. Um, so I finally added NFL Red Zone to my TV package. And I was like, okay, let's try it out. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll love it. Maybe I'll hate it. Uh, maybe I'll, you know, maybe it'll be right in the middle. And then we got started. The The classic phrase that Scott Hansen always says, seven hours of commercial-free football on Sunday. Now, you don't really understand what that means until you're sitting there and watching it. And that was me. I was like, okay, I mean, seven hours of commercial-free football, you know, whatever. I mean, who cares? I always watch, end up watching football, whatever. But, oh, my God, is Red Zone dangerous? Let me be honest with you. If if you are a football fan and you don't have Red Zone, if you're an NFL fan more than anything, if and you don't have Red Zone, get on that, okay? Especially for somebody... I don't want to get on my high horse. I'm not, I'm trying, not trying to, but somebody like me who has the, has a podcast and talks about football on that podcast. It's basically a must have. I feel like I watched and ingested more football just in those seven hours 
of watching week one than I had any other week beforehand watching actual NFL football. I was watching every single game, basically. Uh, there were quad boxes on my screen, double boxes on my screen. He had a penta box, or not a penta box, a six box on my screen. It was crazy. I felt like I was watching every single game, every single moment of every single game, and I feel like I ingested an incredible amount of information all at once. And I felt like I couldn't leave because I felt like if I leave, there were no commercial breaks. So I felt like if, if I left, if I got up out of my chair or whatever to go do something to go, you know, even go to the bathroom. If I was like, I had to go to the bathroom, I got I got I to gotta take a piss. You know, if even if that even crossed my mind, I was like, OK, we got to wait until there's a break in the action. There is no break in the action because it's seven hours of commercial free football. So you have to find a spot where you're like, OK, I'm comfortable going to the bathroom right now. And then you do that and then you come back and then you just sit down for another four and a half hours doing nothing. And it's incredible. God, it's awesome. It was awesome. It was a great day. I did not realize how much information I would have just sprayed on me at that point when I was watching NFL Red Zone until I'd watched NFL Red Zone. And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this every weekend. Like, I'm going to do this every Sunday. No problem. I'm going to have a blast doing this every Sunday because I feel like I can watch every game. No, you know, and just get the important stuff in it and then move on to the next, you know, if the Vikings come on, I'll maybe throw that on. If I'll put that on like my laptop has that as a second monitor or whatever, and then throw keep red zone up on the, on the main screen. It's incredible, man. NFL red zone. If you don't have NFL, I'm doing an NFL red zone ad basically right now because of how amazing it was. It was truly an incredible experience. I'd never experienced NFL red zone before. Shout out to Scott Hansen too, by the way, the host of NFL red zone. I don't know how he does it. There's no commercial breaks. So he doesn't get, I mean, obviously he gets a break, to go to the bathroom, you know, maybe grab some water or something like that in between. But I don't know how he does it. I mean, he does it very, uh, very, very sneakily if he does do it, because I had no idea that he was gone when he did leave. Uh, I think they just break into like the normal broadcasts for a little bit for him and able in order for him to be able to go and, you know, get water or go to the bathroom or whatever. But he does it for seven hours. He just seven hours straight. There's no breaks other than the breaks that he kind of like manufactures where they just break into live action. It's crazy. I don't know how they do it. Will, my brother, Will, shout out Will. Uh, my brother was sitting there. He was like, I wouldn't, I would never want to do this. And I was like, I feel like this would be kind of fun because Hanson's just sitting there. You know, he's breaking back, back and forth the different games. He's got to be on his toes. I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, but I mean, nobody's replacing Scott Hanson. Legend. I mean, the guy was killing it. I couldn't believe he was doing it. Seven hours commercial free football. It's incredible. Go get Red Zone if you don't have Red Zone. I'm not, I mean, it's a little expensive. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it's a little pricey if you know what I mean. Make sure you know how to cancel it once the football season ends or once you get into like playoff time because then you don't need it. Um, so make sure you do that. But, and you know, I mean, it was, I, I was sitting there, I was like, this is worth the expense. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm sitting here getting more information than I've ever needed in my entire life for football. And I'm going to be able to know, sound like I know at least a little bit <laughs> of the NFL games I'm going to talk about on my podcast. So, it was amazing. First red zone experience. I feel like I'll never go back to watching just regular football games unless, you know, they're the Vikings, my favorite team, you know, then I'll watch that game, obviously. But I feel like I'll never just throw on any other, you know, regular game on Sunday to watch football. I think I'll just continue doing red zone for the rest of my life and then I'll be happy because I don't have to, you know, watch a game that doesn't really, really mean anything. You know, like the the Chiefs Cardinals game that was basically over by halftime. Like if I was just watching that game, I would have gotten really bored and been like, I could be watching something else that would be more valuable to the podcast insight. You know what I mean? And just football insight in general. So that was the experience that I had on Sunday. It was incredible. I I'll never go back to just watching football game, regular football games on Sunday, unless they're my favorite team, because I feel like I've truly found the perfect viewing experience for football that that's what it felt like it was awesome 
it was a great day. I, you know, it was it was a ton of fun to watch. And it was a good day, a good day of football on Sunday. You know, a lot of decent games. We had a tie week one, a week one tie. I never thought I'd see that. We almost had two week one ties. Uh, we had a sloppy game in Chicago that was messy, and it looked like a regular, a regular, like a football game that you'd get out of some fifties man's dream. You know, some some guy from the nineteen fifties that talks about hit back in his day in football. You know, you'd play in anything. That's what that game in Chicago kind of felt like. That's what he would have dreamt up as a game. Back in his day, you know what I mean? That's what that kind of felt like. And it was a bad, you know, I I, I don't know why people like that because that was a bad game. I did not enjoy even red zoning that game. I was like, we don't need to watch any of this because we kind of know what we're getting. Um, But I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? I'm talking about Sunday. We need to talk a little bit about Saturday, some college football action. There were a couple pretty solid games on on Saturday. We had uh, Texas-Alabama. That was probably the biggest game. I mean, not probably. That was the biggest game of the day, I'd say. Um, And you know what? I think a lot of people came in. I think the closing line was uh, Alabama 20 and a half point favorites and Texas to their, to, you know, I'm not a Texas fan and they're my biggest rival. I'm an Oklahoma fan to their credit though. They played about as well as I would have expected them to play. I didn't see them in on, you know, on the, on the opposite side, Alabama played about as bad of a game as I expected as possible uh, against Texas. And I don't think Texas is, you know, as good as Alabama or anything like that. I think Alabama played about as bad of a football game as they could have played without losing. Um, they ended up winning 20 to 19. So they're still, you know, one of the, I still think Alabama is one of the best teams in the country. They played a really bad game. And I think Alabama is going to be only better for the game that they just played for the, for the game that they just put out there because they're only going to get better from that game. There's a lot of things to learn from. I think it's better that they won that game by one instead of, you know, just blowing Texas out and not taking a lot to learn from it, even though there's always something to learn from it as you know, it's Nick Saban. He's going to find something, but now he's got a lot to, you know, kind of to focus on and work on moving forward. And on Texas side, that's about as happy as you can be about a loss. You know, I mean, they had them. They had Alabama right where they wanted them. They gave up the the game winning drive with Bryce Young that led to a field goal and a couple of big plays down the line uh, towards the end of the game that kind of pretty much cost them the game. But they had Alabama. I mean, they it felt like that game was basically over when Quinn Ewers went down. I think it was in the first or the second quarter. I believe it was in the first quarter. Uh, when he went down with his shoulder injury, I believe is what it was, or elbow injury or something like that, it kind of felt like the offense sputtered for Texas. And if Texas was able to, if Ewers was able to stay in, I think Texas probably would have won that game, to be honest with you. And probably by a bigger margin than um, Alabama winning by one would have been. I think Texas probably could have won that game by 10 if they wanted to. If, if Ewers would have stayed in that game and uh, the offense started clicking a little bit more than they did when Ewers went out, I think they probably could have won that game by 10 if, you know, that is if, you know, Alabama doesn't wake up in that in that instance, realizing they're down 10 or whatever and just storm a crazy comeback. But Alabama did not look good. Their wide receivers, they look like a big, pretty solid, a pretty big question mark. Their defense still looks pretty good. Um, other than, you know, like I said, Texas was able to get some drives going there in the at the beginning of the game. But um, yeah, their offense seems a little more questionable than it was last year. Like I said, their wide receiver room does not seem as strong as it has been in the past years. And, you know, rightfully so. I think they just lost their two best wide receivers to the draft um, from last year, John Michi and Jamison Williams. So we'll see where Alabama ends up. I still think they're one of the best teams in in the country. I don't think anybody disputes that by any means, but it does seem like they're a little, you know, they're, they're definitely, definitely, especially offensively, definitely as vulnerable as they have been. Um, and Texas, you know, I'm not going to say Texas is back because this is a loss. You know, that is a loss at home. I'm not saying they should have won it. And it's as close as a, a, a win as you're going to get, at, you know, in terms of taking positives out of it. So I'm not going to say they're back, but this is as close to being back, I think, 
as we've seen Texas since, you know, the Notre Dame game when uh, the announcer exclaimed that they were back, if that makes sense. And then, uh, of course, the bowl game with Sam Ellinger talking about how they're back and then they weren't back when they beat Georgia. So, you know, this feels like they're on their way, you know, and then uh, who knows, maybe in a week or so, maybe next week they'll lose to some, you know, FBS team that they had no business losing to. That's kind of the Texas set that that's the Texas that's what they do, at least in the past few years. They have this crazy, really good game that they just played, played Alabama really good, and then they go put up a stinker against like North Texas or something, and then you're like, okay, they're not back. They're, they're, they had a really good game, and that's possible. I'm not saying they're back by any means. That any means That's entirely possible that they put that game up uh, next week. Who knows with Texas anymore because that felt like uh, you know a game that they just kind of pulled out of nowhere against Alabama and survived for as long as they could until the game-winning field goal at the end. So. You know, good game. I was more impressed by Texas than I would be than I was Alabama, obviously. Um, and we'll see where both teams end up. I think Alabama's only going to get better from here. Texas obviously looks better than they have been, and uh, we'll see where they end up. A couple other games on. We're going to get to the big one, the big upset. I mean, there were two pretty big upsets on the day, I would say. Um, but the one that I really want to talk about is the Texas A&M one. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later because I'm going to go on a bit more of a rant than I just did. Um, but a couple other ones. Kentucky, they beat Florida. I was just talking about Anthony Richardson, how good of a player he looked like as the quarterback for Florida after they beat after they beat Utah in week one. And I jinxed him. I, I did jinx him. They they played a bad game. Anthony Richardson did not play a good game at all. Uh, he played a pretty bad game, to be honest with you. And I think I feel bad for him because I feel like I jinxed him. That was bad. That, you know, they, I'll take the blame for that. Okay, 14 for 35, 143 yards. Two picks for Anthony Richardson in the Gator for Florida. That's not good. That's bad. Uh, that's a bad game from Anthony Richardson. I really thought, I mean, you know, I'm not going to condemn him, say he's bad now, you know, obviously. Um, but you can't be having up and down games like that. You know what I mean? If, again, especially in the SEC, I mean, you're going to get stomped. And Kentucky, that's a good team. Most people don't think Kentucky is a good football team or anything like that. That's not normally what you think of. Obviously, Kentucky is a pretty prominent basketball school, but they got a good football team this year. Will Levi? For the Wildcats, one of the better uh, uh, QB prospects heading into the draft this upcoming season or this upcoming draft. Um, I don't think he's going to be winning the Heisman or anything like that, but he had a you know a decent game against a solid team. He went 13 for 24, 202 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Better game than Anthony Richardson, obviously. Um, so, I mean, we'll see with both these teams. Wildcats, uh, Kentucky, I don't think they're a top four, uh, you know, a playoff team or anything like that. Um but I mean, they could surprise some people. They just—I mean—they surprised Florida. I, I don't think anybody really had them winning this game by any means. They were uh, the Gators were six-point favorites coming into it, and they were at home. So Kentucky went into the swamp and pulled off a pretty decent upset. Now, obviously, Kentucky or, or excuse me, Florida kind of got helped with the other upsets were going on around them. Anthony Richardson did get a brunt of of um, not blame, but uh, a brunt of the. Of I guess blame I, I guess we're gonna call that you know the overrated slang and stuff like that uh, for Anthony Richardson after you know one game and this was you know obviously like I said not a good game for Anthony Richardson but I still think he's a very good quarterback you know a fluky game against Utah like that that doesn't that doesn't really just happen he had a very solid game against Utah now most of it was on the ground it wasn't necessarily through the air um, so we'll see if you know teams start to key in on his ability to pass the ball which it felt like Kentucky kind of did. They were able to limit his legs for the most part, and Kentucky was able to win that game because of that. Um, so we'll see if more teams kind of key on that, and if Anthony Richardson could get better as the season goes forward, passing the ball, and instead of using a lot of you know his ability to run the football, um, we'll see if he gets better as that kind of goes on as the season goes on there. But he's going to have to learn quick because 
uh, you know, SEC, SEC East especially is not a, uh, that's not a conference you can kind of just lay down. It's it's easier than the West. It's easier than the SEC West, but you still got to play Georgia. Tennessee doesn't look bad this year. Um, and, you know, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt, those guys are kind of, you know, less so. But you still got a couple games you got to play in the SEC West as well. It's just the SEC. You can't just have one of those fluky games like that and then play bad the next game. That's not really, I mean, the SEC, you're not going to get very far in the SEC playing like that. So we'll see where Anthony Richardson ends up. I'm intrigued by this Kentucky team. I think they're very, I think they're solid. They don't make a lot of dumb mistakes. It feels like they're very good at playing just fundamental football. A classic, you know, Stoops feels like team, which is Mark Stoops as the head coach. Makes sense that they're very solid fundamentally. A very decent defensive team held this team to 16 points. Uh, the Gators to 16 points. So we'll see where Kentucky ends up. I don't think they're a top four school or a top four team or anything like that. But who knows? Maybe they'll sneak into a uh, a Super Six Bowl or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised by that by any means. Or I, I you know. I think they're good enough to actually do that. I don't think they're going to win the SEC or anything like that. Like I said, they're still they're in the same conference or the same division as Georgia. Georgia, obviously, probably the best team in the country right now, and they're obviously the best team in the SEC East, just by bona fides of that. Um, so I don't think they're going to win the SEC East or anything like that, but or the SEC in general. But maybe sneak into an at large, uh, an at large bowl, uh, Super Six bowl or something like that. It's not. It's not the Super Six. Sorry, the New Year's Six bowl. The Super Six is like the betting thing that they do on Fox. The New Year's Six bowl, um, possibly. Who knows? We'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited to see where Kentucky goes from here, and even Florida. Uh, Anthony Richardson should be better than that, and I think he will be. So we'll see what ends up there. What hap- ends up happening there? A um, couple other games. Big one. The big one that everybody kind of knows about. We're going to get into the upsets now. Um, the big one, actually the first one, I don't want to go into the, I'm saving, I'm saving my Jimbo Fisher rant till the, to the end of college football day, uh, the college football segment, um, Marshall going on the road. This is arguably a bigger upset, to be honest with you. Um, the, I mean, it is a bigger upset in terms of ranking, uh, Marshall goes in and upsets Notre Dame at home. Uh, I think Notre Dame was ranked fifth in the country at the time and they go in, beat Notre Dame at home. Marshall goes to Notre Dame and beats Notre Dame. Uh, that is not something anybody expected. Notre Dame did not play well. Their offense looks very stagnant, and it was a very disappointing game. Marcus Freeman, head coach for Notre Dame now, the first coach in Notre Dame history to start with three straight losses going back to last season. He lost the Fiesta Bowl and then lost to Ohio State to start the year this year and then just lost to Marshall at home. Now, I don't want to say this because it feels very early, but it's Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is a, I mean, it's a football school, obviously. they are die hard about their football. Just look at their alumni. Obviously everybody knows Notre Dame is a football school. Um, but I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily an overreaction to say he's probably a little bit on the hot seat right now. Uh, you don't lose to Marshall if you're Notre Dame and you don't lose to Marshall. if you're Notre Dame at home, especially that is not a game you can really lose. Um, and now they're essentially out of the playoff on after two weeks, uh, a lot can happen obviously, but Ohio state a loss there. That's, you know, I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. Ohio state's still a very good team. They're third in the country now after the AP poll came out. Um, that's still a very good team. Ohio state. That's not a bad loss by any means, especially going to the shoe and losing that game, but to Marshall at home, you're done. Uh, two, two games, two losses are pretty much already a death sentence. Uh, if you're in the college, looking at the college football playoff and looking at the past history of the college football playoff, if you have two losses, you're basically already done. They don't have a conference championship that they can go to and win a conference or anything like that. So they can't even do that to try to 
change voters' eyes or or the uh, the committee's eyes or anything like that, change their minds at the beginning of the year. They don't have a conference to win. They're not conference affiliated in any way. So they go they, they go play their own uh, schedule, whoever they want to, whenever they want to. So they don't have to worry about conference games or anything like that or conference championships. So they don't have any way to change the committee's mind when it comes to championship weekend. And I think the two losses, it's doomed them. They're done. Uh, they're not going to play for a, a college football playoff spot. Um, they might get back into the rankings just solely because it's Notre Dame and they have so much talent on their team. They might get a couple surprise wins. I haven't looked at their schedule or anything like that, um, but they might get a couple surprise wins here and there uh, just to kind of get back into the rankings. But I think as far as uh, a playoff team goes, I think it's it's over. I mean, they, they take on no, or they take on BYU October 8th on the road in BY at BYU. BYU is 12th ranked in the country this year so far. Um, that's a that could be a good win for them. Obviously it's a good ranked win, uh, but the rest of their schedule is not very good to be honest with you. Other than a couple ranked games, they play UNC. UNC isn't very good this year. Uh, they play Cal this next week. Um, play Cal. Cal's not necessarily very good. Uh, UNC, not necessarily very good the week after that. Then it's the BYU game. And then after that, they play Stanford at home. Stanford, not necessarily a very good team. UNLV at home, not necessarily a very good team. Syracuse on the road, not necessarily a very good team. Not ranked it yet at this point. Um, and then they have Clemson at home. That could be a big game for them. Uh, then they have Notre Dame and then they have Navy on the road and then Boston College at home, not necessarily a good team there. And then Notre Dame takes on seventh rank USC. USC will more than likely go up in the rankings if they don't lose any games up until this point. But I mean, other than those two towards the end, Clemson, Notre Dame, two top 10 schools as it stands right now, the rest of that schedule is not very good. Uh, You don't have a lot of other than, uh, you know, BYU also in early October, you don't have a lot of games where you can kind of prove yourself to the committee that you're a worthy to law school in any sense of, you know, in any sense of, you know, worthiness, especially losing to Marshall at home early in the year. Uh, Like I said, Ohio state losing to them at the beginning of the season, you can get away with that, especially at the beginning of the year uh, and make it to the playoff. People have uh, plenty of teams have done that before Ohio state themselves lost early in the season. This is way back when to Virginia tech at home and they ended up going to the playoff and you know, that's not necessarily out of the question for most teams, but when you lose, as Notre Dame to Marshall at home, you already have two losses on the season. You don't have a conference championship to go to, to try to dissuade or change minds of committee members or anything like that. You just kind of have to beat USC at the end of the year and say, hope that it's good. Even though USC could be benching people for that game to get ready for a PAC 12 championship game or something like that. You know, I mean, who knows uh, it, that far down the line or, you know, USC might've you know lost three games and then that game is not as good. Uh, as it looked at this point in the season. But by the time you get there, USC could have lost three games and they're not even ranked anymore or something like that. And it's not as good of a game anymore. Same thing with Clemson. It's just kind of all up in the air. And now Notre Dame, if they even want to have a shot, they have to win out. They have to win out, um, not just win out. They have to win handily against a lot of these ranked teams if they even want to have a shot. And I mean, by the way, it looks right now, that doesn't look like it's probably going to happen just because of the performance that offense put on, on, uh, on Saturday against Marshall. Um, it feels like their season is probably over. To be honest with you, if they lose one more time, it's definitely over. There's, it'll, you know, no chance they might get back. I mean, they might get back into the rankings just because it's Notre Dame, like I said. But if they come into a situation with three losses, it's over. They're not going to make the playoff. Period. Um, you know, there's going to be better teams than them that have won conference championships, even with two losses that have won conference championships. That'll get a better look than Notre Dame would if um, they came in with three losses. So, two losses. 
They're basically teetering on the edge, on the very tippy edge, hanging by their fingers at this point. I, basically, their they're index fingers off the edge of a cliff. Um, I, I'm giving, and that's that's me. I mean, that's in my opinion. I think a lot of people, for the most part, have already counted them out. I think they're done. I think they're done because no, we. I think I don't think we've ever had a two loss team make the college football playoff. So, and a team that's lost to Marshall. Maybe if it was two ranked teams, it'd be a different story. But a team that lost to Marshall at home probably isn't getting a second look. So, I mean, Notre Dame. I don't know what you do at this point other than just keep, I mean, obviously you just keep playing throughout the season. Marcus Freeman, I hate to say it because I like Marcus Freeman. I think he brings a decent amount of, um, I mean, he's a good looking dude. I mean, I'll start with that. Obviously he's a good looking dude. If you know what he looks like, I mean, nobody rocks a three quarters zip quite like Marcus Freeman, a uh, great haircut, great head of hair, great lettuce. You know what I mean? Um, but for, you know, Notre Dame, you can't lose three in a row to start your tenure. That's not a good start. And I think, honestly, he's probably already on the hot seat, especially for a lot of Notre Dame fans. I don't think they're going to, you know, I don't think they're going to let this turn the other way, especially when they just lost Brian Kelly, even though Brian Kelly, you know, his first game was not necessarily great either. But given the tenure that Brian Kelly had, taking them to a couple college football playoffs, took them to a BCS National Championship, um, didn't win anything, but took them there at the very least. I don't think they're going to have a lot of patience for a guy like Marcus Freeman, the young guy coming in, I don't think it's going to last very long if that is uh, the case in Notre Dame. I think, you know, one one more loss, even two more losses, then you're really starting to talk about, you know, what's the next step here? Are we going to fire this dude? I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities, which would be mind-boggling. I don't think I don't think Notre Dame's a bad football team by any means. I think their offense has looked it looks really dated to be honest with you. Their defense looks somewhat good and their defense can only stay on the field for as long and stop make as many stops as possible before the offense has to actually score some points, you know. Um, but I don't necessarily, you know, they're not a playoff team in my, obviously, um, based on the last two games. They played Ohio State as about as well as you could have played them without winning that game, similar to like Texas. But um, yeah, I mean, Marshall at home, that's pretty much unacceptable if you're if you're uh, Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame. So that was that game. That was a big upset. But luckily for Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame fans are upset as it is, but luckily and this is just in my opinion i think this is a more um scalding upset i think in my opinion uh, this next game and that's appalachian state beating texas a&m 17 to 14 at home at kyle field arguably better home field advantage for texas a&m than uh, notre dame just because of you know capacity wise uh, texas a&m is known for their home field advantage the 12th man everybody knows about that um but texas a&m at home losing to Appalachian State. Now, Appalachian State, I would say, is probably a better team overall than uh, Marshall. Appalachian State just went and put up 63 points, I think is what it was, against North Carolina, lost by two. Um, Basically, probably could have won that game. They scored 40 points in the fourth quarter uh, alone. So, I think Appalachian State is probably a little bit, I think they came into the season ranked as well, Um, but I think Appalachian State is probably a little bit better than Texas A&M, just in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, if you're A&M, you should not know their 18 point favorites. A&M was coming into this game. You should not be losing to Appalachian state at home period. Uh, you shouldn't be honestly, you shouldn't be losing to anybody at home. If you're Texas A&M other than, you know, Alabama or Georgia, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, but even, you know, Ohio state as well, Michigan. No, you should not be losing to that team. If you're Texas A&M at home. Um, I mean, this is just, if you're the best team, your best Texas A&M team playing at home against Michigan's best Michigan team right now, Texas A&M should at least keep that close, I think, especially at home. Um, but 
Appalachian State. I have nothing against Appalachian State, by the way. It's just a bad loss for Texas A&M. I'm more just disgruntled at the fact I'm not even a Texas A&M fan. I don't like Texas A&M, actually, to be honest with you. I don't, I, I won't say that. I won't, I won't say I dislike Texas A&M. I dislike Jimbo Fisher. I think he's drastically overrated uh, as a head coach. I think, and this will kind of key me into my Jimbo Fisher rant, if you will. Um, Jimbo Fisher, drastically overrated, in my opinion. I think he's a very good recruiter. He's always been a very good recruiter. But as far as a head coach goes, somebody that, you know, develop, not necessarily develops, but somebody that um, can create an offense or hire somebody to create an offense slash defense or anything like that, I don't think he's the guy. I, the guy that can develop talent into what it needs to be to be a really good team in college football. I don't think Jimbo Fisher's the guy. I think he got really lucky. Um, not necessarily lucky, but he he got Jameis Winston at Florida State when he was there, and Jameis Winston turned into one of the best college football quarterbacks we'd seen at that time. Um, and that team went on to win the national championship, of course. Obviously, everybody remembers Jameis. Um, and he, Jameis went up, ended up winning the Heisman, and I think he was really good because of Jameis. I think Jameis made Jimbo Fisher, for the most part, into what Jimbo Fisher is, but Jameis Winston doesn't come to Florida State without Jimbo Fisher. So I understand that part of it. Jimbo Fisher, great recruiter. He just brought in the highest ranked, according to 24-7 Sports, the highest ranked recruiting class of all time. This was just this past year. So coming into this season, he had the highest ranked recruiting class of all time. So all these recruits are on the field for this loss at Appalachian State. And uh, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was a bad game. Bad offensive display. Uh, defense, I mean, they held their own. Again, it was kind of similar to Notre Dame. They held their own for the most part, but there's only so long you can stay out there until, you know, you have to ha- start asking the offense to put up some points. Um, and that was an embarrassing loss for Jimbo Fisher. And Jimbo Fisher, in my opinion, and I'm sure he's a, a pleasant enough guy. You know, I have nothing against him personally. This is just from a football perspective. I think, you know, I see him as a, a more expensive version of like a Mac Brown. Mac Brown has a very similar situation, obviously not towards the end of Texas. And now at in North Carolina, I don't necessarily think he should be coaching. I think the game has kind of evolved past him, in my opinion. Um, but Mac Brown, fantastic recruiter, a very, very good recruiter. He had one great, I, I won't say one, I'd say he had he had a couple more straight years where he recruited really solid quarterbacks that kind of led him to a couple of really solid seasons. So Vince Young, obviously one of the greatest college quarterbacks we've ever seen, period. Um, Mac Brown recruited him, brought him into Texas. Texas wins a national chi- uh, championship against USC, one of the, the great college football games of all time. Um, and we, we see Vince Young want to, you know, continue to thrive at Texas. And then after that, there's a little bit of a gray area, but then after that, we get Colt McCoy, who didn't end up really doing anything in the NFL, obviously, but was a great college quarterback when he was there. Uh, took Texas to a national championship game. They ended up losing to Alabama, but took them to a national championship game nonetheless. But other than that, those gray areas where you don't have the quarterback play or, you know, didn't have the evaluate the talent you brought in recruits, obviously good, solid, high star recruits didn't develop them into good enough quarterbacks other than Vince Young, Colt McCoy, who I think they were just already naturally very good at what they did. Same thing with Jameis Winston and Jimbo Fisher, Jameis Winston, think was already naturally very very good at what he did i don't know how much he developed past that point um and you can kind of see that with his nfl game now obviously Jameis winston's still an nfl starter i think he's explosive enough to be a starter for a, a decent amount of time if the very least a backup for a decent amount of time but i don't you know 
when you get guys like that, the goal is to kind of obviously win with them, but then also develop them enough to be to hand them off into the future, into the NFL, that sort of thing. Um, and that doesn't happen with guys like Mac Brown or Jimbo Fisher, Vince Young. He had a couple of good years, but he didn't last very long in the NFL. Colt McCoy, I think he's still a backup in the NFL, but he's never been, you know, a go-to starter for any team or anything like that. James Winston, again, solid. He's fine. I mean, he's a decent player, but he's not, you know, a a, a starter that you feel like you can uh, that can take a team to a Super Bowl and kind of just lead them there. You know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of how I evaluate those two guys. And I think Jimbo Fisher and Mac Brown are kind of staring at each other in the mirror. I don't think there's that difference. Now, granted, Texas A&M playing in the SEC, much harder conference. He's never won the conference. I think they went. I think they went nine and one or something like that in the COVID year in 2020, if I remember correctly. But I mean, it didn't necessarily amount to anything. They didn't win. They didn't go on and play in the national championship or anything like that. I believe they lost in the conference title game if they had one. I can't remember the 2020 year was kind of weird. Um, but even after, before that and after that, they've been very much a nine and four football team, an eight and four football team, nine and three football team, ten and two a couple times. But other than that, I mean, they're not competing necessarily for national championships. This is the problem I have with Texas A&M in general. I don't dislike Texas A&M that much by any means. I think their fans are kind of obnoxious, to be honest with you, sometimes. Um, they think they deserve the praise of higher NCAA schools, you know, college football schools, like your Michigans, your Ohio States, you know, whatever, your your Texas is, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. But they haven't done anything in a very long time. Texas A&M hasn't won a national championship since 1939, since the beginning of World War II was the last time that they won a national championship. So they think they deserve some sort of respect for that, I guess. Uh, not necessarily even for that, but just respect for the fact that they're Texas A&M. They have an ungodly amount of money. I won't disagree with that. They're one of the you know, high, they rake in the money with their alumni base and their boosters and stuff like that. Obviously they're one of the most valuable Forbes, you know, Forbes ranks them as one of the most valuable college football or college athletic schools, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of the praise that they think they deserve for, uh, I guess for just being a football school, I guess is something that they think they deserve, which is not true in my opinion, in my opinion, I don't think they deserve that at all. Um, they don't play, uh, you know, they've had a couple of seasons where they, the Johnny Manziel years where they beat Alabama and then it kind of felt like Texas A&M was kind of rising to that occasion and they were going to finally get over, get the monkey off their back, if you will. But then obviously they lose another questionable game and then they're back, you know, doing the same thing where they compete for New Year's Six Bowls, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but with the amount of money that is pumped into the Texas A&M football program, they shouldn't be just competing for New Year's Six Bowls. They should be championship you know college football championship contenders every single season uh with the amount of money that they have that's just kind of what they should be shooting for and granted Jimbo Fisher was a splash hire taking him away from Florida State but I don't necessarily think that that is the guy that they should be able to I mean he's he's a solid coach I think you know for a team that wants to win Get to New Year's Six Bowls, I guess, but there is an a, there's a an echelon of coaches that you have to be able to get in order to win championships. You're you know you're uh, Dabo Swinney's, you're Nick Saban's, obviously, you're uh, even Kirby Smart's, even though he just won his first one. He's always kind of been in the conversation for 
one of the best, you know, uh, your Ryan days and so on and so forth. There's a smaller, you know, Lincoln Riley. There's a, it's a small group of them, but if you're Texas A&M, you should be able to, with the amount of money that you have, you took Jimbo Fisher from, from Florida state. You should be able to at least hire some, one of those guys away. I mean, not necessarily Nick Saban or anything like that, or at the very least, you should be able to find the next guy. And Jimbo Fisher, in my opinion, has never really been one of those guys. He won the one championship with Jameis Winston on her center for him. And I think that was a big part of what happened. I think Jimbo Fisher, or excuse me, Jameis Winston was a massive part of that championship team winning. I think they played way above expectations um, with that team. Cause if you look it, it, again, it was recruit. It was a team that was recruited very well. They were a very good team in terms of how they were recruited because Jimbo Fisher, again, he's a very good recruiter. I won't disagree with that at all. He's fantastic at getting really high ranked guys to his school and his program. Now, again, now it's kind of all a, a shot in the dark with the NIL. I mean, you can kind of just say, hey, I'm, you know, we have a, a, a group here that's willing to play, pay you blank amount of money to come and play for us. You know, that's kind of it's kind of all different now. But even before then, when it was kind of happening under the table, Jimbo Fisher was very good at what he did. Um, and, you know, that's just I, that's how, kind of how I view Jimbo Fisher. If he was just if, if he was if the championships came from just recruiting, Jimbo Fisher would be up there every single season, like. No doubt he would be in the top five every single year. We just saw him bring in the highest ranked recruiting class of all time. And if that's how you won national championships, he'd be very good at it. He'd be fantastic at it. But unfortunately, it kind of cuts both ways. You have to be a very good recruiter and you have to develop some sort of uh, functioning offense. You know what I mean? It reminds me a little bit of also Mac Brown. But other than that, um, Jim Harbaugh, it feels like they kind of have a similar issue with Jimbo Fisher, in my opinion. I think Jim Harbaugh is not a very distant uh, compare uh, maybe that's even a better uh, a better comparison in this scenario is Jim Harbaugh to Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Jim Harbaugh finally he finally got over the the Ohio State hump. He they never beaten Ohio State since Jim Harbaugh was there. But they always have a solid team recruit. They always have a solid recruiting team um, and that sort of thing. But their offenses have always looked like they were kind of in the distant past. They'd always had a very very good defense. But their offenses were ancient, you know, stuff that, you know, teams were doing 20 years ago was what Michigan's offense would be looking like. And that always held them back for AM, It kind of feels the same way. Their offense doesn't look good. Their defense has its moments. You know, I think maybe Harbaugh's a little bit of a step ahead of him in term and ahead of Jimbo Fisher because he can always make a very, very good defense. Um, you can always develop a very, very good defense with the recruits that he gets for Jimbo. It kind of feels like he can make, you know, a, a top 20 defense. Um, which is good. Obviously, it's a very solid defense, um, but the offense always feels like it's it's ancient in what we're watching. And granted, you know, SEC is a lot more difficult than in the Big Ten. Clearly, um, you have basically your top two in Ohio State and Michigan, and then it kind of feels like the rest of the field. Michigan State's solid. You know, they're good, but it always kind of feels like they're lower in the pack. It feels like they kind of pop up every other year. They're very solid. Now, SEC, obviously you get your Georgia's your Alabama's. That's, that's a gauntlet you got to run through in the SEC. It's a completely different story. Um, but that's, you know, it would make sense if he was losing to Alabama or Georgia every single season. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. Other than the fact, if it was going on for super long, you can't be losing Appalachian state at home. That cannot happen. That cannot happen. Period. Uh, if you're Jimbo Fisher and A&M, now you're questionable for a national championship because you still have to play Alabama. I don't I don't think they have Georgia on their schedule, but if they want to make the conference championship, they're still probably going to have to play Georgia in the conference championship. You're not beating any either one of those teams. Alabama maybe maybe they can maybe beat Alabama given what we saw from this past week, but Georgia? No way. Not with the offense we just saw and put up. Georgia might score 35 
uh, beat them by 35, in my opinion, if A&M plays Georgia this year. I can't remember. I'm not looking at their schedule right now. But if A&M does play Georgia, Georgia's going to beat that team by 35, and they and A&M might not score because A&M's offense is atrocious. They are bad. If you watch that Appalachian set game against A&M, you probably took a nap because it was very boring, and the game-winning touchdown came from a pick six from A&M to Appalachian State, and they won on a game-winning pick six. It wasn't as time expired or anything like that, but the AMD offense couldn't get anything going after that or before that necessarily, and that's just how the game went, and it's very disappointing to see AM the way it's at, and they're, oh man, and they're only making it worse with their post stuff. They had, a, a, there's a very viral video going around right now of, <laughs> of one of the, uh, I think they call them the yell leaders because they have like their midnight yell that they do before the game day, like Friday night. That they'll, that's the 12th man thing, you know, you know, college and one of those things where they come like a, a big a group of people come to the stadium at midnight and they all practice their yells for the next day. And the yell leader, oh my God, he was doing, I don't know what he was doing. It looked like a stand up bit, but it was a really bad stand up bit that wasn't that funny at all. And they were just kind of roasting Appalachian State, but it was like, you know, low hanging fruit stuff. Like they don't know how to read or how to spell because it's Appalachian state and they're from West Virginia or wherever. And you know, the, the boonies, if you will, and you know, the backwoods. And that was the extent of their jokes. It was so bad. It was so bad. And then you, you, (laughs) and then you play that on top of the fact that they just lost that team. It's just so I'm explaining the joke here, which I hate doing, but Oh my God, it was so cringy. It's so bad. And then that video starts going out and making the rounds and then Texas A&M, the geniuses that they are over there start DMCAing them to try to get it off the internet and the internet's undefeated. You can't fight the internet on that. If that gets out there, it's going to get out there and it's going to stay out there. You can't start DMCAing people because then it makes it look like you're hurt. You know, you're offended by what you're doing. You did this to yourself. Okay. Texas A&M yell leader, yell, whatever yell leader. You did this yourself. You made a bad stand up bit on yell night at midnight, uh, making some very bad and dumb jokes not dumb but just low-hanging fruit jokes that weren't that funny at all and now they're, they're making the rounds that, that videos got out and you can't start dmcaing okay the the you're just gonna get clowned texas a&m you gotta know better than that okay internet's undefeated they're gonna use that that video's gonna be everywhere you're not gonna be able to defeat it you're not gonna be able to knock it off of every single place it's never gonna happen it's just how the internet works that video got out after a loss you gotta roll with it okay you just got to take it on the chin. You can't prevent it from what's happening now. It's never going to happen. AM's just got to take it on the chin. Maybe that's just the theme of what AM's got to do. You just got to take it on the chin and move on. Okay. Win out, and I think everybody will kind of get over it. If you find a way, Jimbo Fisher finds a way to develop an offense that's from the 21st century and not the 19th century, they'll win out. They'll possibly win out and maybe get a, a nod at the college football playoff. But honestly, I don't see it happening because this has been the same thing that Jimbo Fisher's been doing ever since. Jameis left Florida State to go to the NFL. This is the same thing that's been happening. They had one good year with EJ Manuel as quarterback, and then Jameis came in, was uh, had a fantastic freshman season, won the Heisman. He, I think, stayed one more year, and then they lost the college football playoff. And then after that, he was gone, and they were average again. And that's the Jimbo Fisher special. They lose very questionable games, and that's just how they play football down there at Texas A&M. They'll they'll tell you they have the best recruiting the best recruiting team recruited team of all time, and then lose to Appalachian State who they were making fun of at the yell practice and the yell practice, man, there's nothing more. I would say there's nothing more, um, more of a joke than yell practice the day before a loss. Like if you had a loss, you know, obviously you don't know you're going to lose when you go to yell. I keep calling it yell practice. I think that's what they call it. It's kind of, you know, 
kind of a dumb name. It makes it sound really corny. Um, but there's nothing worse than the yell practice the day after when you lose, right? It just looks really stupid. If you lose the day after yell practice, you were up at the up at the field at midnight practicing your yells and whatever, and it didn't matter because you lost on a pick six, and maybe your offense should be practicing offense at midnight instead of you guys practicing yell practice. Maybe that's what should happen, you know? And, and then you just look stupid going to yell practice at midnight just to wake up and go to the football game and lose to Appalachian State, who you were making fun of at yell practice the day after. It's so, it's just peak comedy. You know, and then they're going to try to DMCA it. It's so bad. It's so bad. If you haven't watched the video, I mean, try to find the video. They're trying to strike it down from everywhere, but try to find the video. I mean, do your best not to cringe because you know what happens. Uh, they lose anyways to these guys they're making fun of. It's so bad. It's the cringiest thing in the world. Um, I tip my hat to the guy and you know, I'm not, I would never do that. I tip my hat to the guy that was make, doing his stand up bit, even though I don't think it was supposed to be a stand up bit. It felt like a really bad stand up bit. Um, I tip my hat to the guy that was trying to do it because I wouldn't have the balls to do it, obviously. But I also like to think, you know, if you're going to do that, make some better jokes, you know, don't do the Don't do the low hanging fruit. Okay. Yes. They're from West Virginia. Yes. They're Appalachia. You know, okay, they're hillbillies. Yes. Oh, they don't know how to read or write. Okay, whatever. That's very low hanging. Let's get more creative. Okay. It's midnight. I want to hear some good jokes. Give me something I can actually laugh at. You know what I mean? If it's, if I'm up here, it's Texas A&M, you know, Kyle Field on, on at midnight. I don't want to just be sitting here listening to bad jokes and then lose the next day. That's a, that's a tough look for Texas A&M. So that's my Texas A&M rant. I'm going to close it there just because it was so so much stuff snowballed and happened. It was a great day for college football. And this feels like feels like we get a new one like this every week where we get a, like a bad loss or something like that that happens. And then everything else just snowballs after uh, on on for that school or whatever. Those are just it's college football. It's awesome. I love it. It's so much fun because there's always just other stuff that just tacks on. You got guys going to midnight yell practice and losing the next day. It's it's so great. You know, it's just stuff that adds up and it's fun to watch. And uh, it's, it's college football. That's why I love college football. I think I'm a college football fan more than I am an NFL fan. College football is just kind of harder to follow because there's so many more teams. Um, but I, I don't know. The pomp and circumstance of it all is just a lot more fun to watch. Um, okay, moving on. Sorry, we went through a lot of college football there. We're going to talk more about the NFL. It's NFL. It was week one. We're going to talk more NFL here. Okay. Well, we're just going to go through a couple of the games. Not a couple. But I'm going to try to go through all of them. But they're going to be quick. Uh, I'll talk, you know, I'll hesitate. I'll hold more on the the games that I thought were more interesting and whatnot. Um, but I'll burn through the other games that I don't necessarily think were that interesting. Um, let's start it off. First big game Thursday. Bills beat the Rams at home. Rams, they're getting their rings, you know, hanging the banner, the whole thing. Uh, championship hangover, I think, should probably probably should have been expected, to be honest. They were uh, Buffalo was two and a half point favorites. Um, and I think the Rams coming into the game, they'd lost a lot. I mean, Whitworth out of the tackle spot was a bigger loss. than I think a lot of people expected Wentworth was pretty old at the time that he's playing, but he's still pretty solid tackle. Um, and Von Miller basically got whatever he wanted at, uh, at, as the outside blitzing linebacker. Um, and I mean, it looked like that. I mean, Von Miller got whatever he wanted. The bills offense cooked. Stefan Diggs looked amazing. He was cooking Jalen Ramsey left and right all game long. Josh Allen, it felt like he could make any throw. He wanted that game. A couple interceptions. One of them was not a good throw, but the other one was one his receiver should have caught, and he basically handed the ball off to his cornerback, uh, to the cornerback that led to an interception. But the other one, 
bad throw. It wasn't a great, I mean, it wasn't a bad throw necessarily. It was just bad placement of the ball, I guess is what I would say. So Josh Allen, he looks fantastic. He played a very good game. I was very impressed by Josh Allen. I believe he had one of the highest, he had the highest rated grade uh, of any quarterback in the league over this week one. Um, he had a 90.3 passing grade from PFF. So very good day. Uh, he looked every bit, you know, looks like he's going to take another step up this season, which is exactly what the Bills need. Uh, I think the Bills are the favorites in the AFC right now and probably the favorites to win the title at this point. If they're not, they might not be the favorites right now, actually, after Sunday because the Chiefs played so good as well. I'll have to look at that. I'll have to see where everybody's at. But um, yeah, Bills look like they're going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. Obviously, the Rams, very questionable. Maybe Matthew Stafford has a little something going on with his elbow. That's been a that's been a trending topic. Um he, I think he had like tendonitis or something like that in his elbow, if I remember, or something like that, that came up in the offseason. He had to get surgery for it, if I remember correctly. Um, and it looked like he kind of was dealing with some issues. There were a couple of balls that he was throwing that were, uh, you know, misplaced or something like that. Cooper Cup, though, looked as good as ever. Uh, their, their running back situation, oh my God, dude. I drafted Cam Akers in my fantasy league. I know nobody likes to hear about their uh, other people's fantasy leagues, but I drafted Cam Akers in my fantasy league. And wouldn't you know, Daryl Henderson gets every basically every snap. I think Cam Akers played four snaps um, as the running back, and I was expecting him to be the starter. I had heard a couple places that he was going to be the starter from a couple people, but it's been running back by committee, but from the Rams for God knows how long. And then lo and behold, Daryl Darren Henderson Daryl Henderson is the the lead back for the Rams in this game. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with them. Okay. And then Allen Robinson as well. He was basically locked up all night. I think he had one or two catches all game and he didn't necessarily look very good just because they didn't throw to him at all. Um, and yeah, the Rams, I mean, we'll see. It is, you know, game one, everybody, you know, and there's nothing like week one overreactions, which is definitely what we're going to get. And I'm going to be doing it as well. Um, but I mean, the Rams, I mean, they didn't look good. They didn't look good at all. The Bills looked like they were, you know, monumentally better than them in this game. And, um, it looks like the Bills, I mean, they're one, they should be well on their way to win the AFC, or at the very least competing to win the AFC. It feels like the AFC is very top-heavy, the Chiefs and the Bills, and then it's kind of just everybody else. And it kind of feels like for the rest of the NFL, to be honest with you. Bills, Chiefs, and then maybe right below them, Tampa Bay, just because of Tom Brady, and they played pretty well last night, uh, Sunday night, against the, against the Cowboys. But it feels like it's basically Bills, Chiefs, and then pretty much everybody else. A decent, decently far behind them. So, um, good game by the Bills. Um, moving on here, first couple games on si- on Sunday. Saints Falcons. Saints win this one, twenty seven twenty six. The Falcons were ahead in this game, twenty six to ten in the fourth quarter. They went up twenty six to ten with twelve forty five left, and then they blew it. There's nobody better. Everybody knows nobody better at blowing leads than the Falcons, and the Falcons have done it again. They blew a lead against the Saints. Uh, the Saints basically went. They scored uh, what was it seventeen unanswered to win this game. Uh, with a game-winning a game-winning field goal by Will Lutz to win 27-26. Uh, the Falcons had a chance to win the game, but it was like a 62-yard field goal, and Young Hoku uh, had it blocked, so they ended up losing. Falcons, I didn't. I mean, they played they played the Saints better than I thought they would, but the Falcons aren't very good, and the Saints aren't necessarily very good either. Taysom Hill had a rushing touchdown, took a touchdown away from Alvin Kamara. That made me sick to my stomach. I didn't love that at all because I have Alvin Kamara on my fantasy team as well. And uh, anytime I see Taysom Hill run the ball and not Alvin Kamara, I get sick to my stomach. So thank you for that, Saints. I really appreciate that. Moving on here, the Browns, Panthers, the coveted Baker Mayfield revenge game went exactly how nobody wanted it to go. Browns win on a game-winning field goal as well. Panthers, they had a chance. They went up with a minute 17 left, 24-23. Eddie Pinero. Had a kicked a 34-yard field goal to put him up 24 to 23 with a minute 17 left, and then lo and behold, as it feels like it happens every every week, 
they, you know, a team lets a team drive down with less time on the clock. And that's what happened. Cade York nailed a 58 yard field goal for the Browns. It was right down the middle. He could have made that from 70. It felt like, and uh, that was basically the game with 13 seconds left. Baker Mayfield didn't necessarily play very well. I was expecting him to play a lot better than he did. Uh, he went 16 for 27, 235 yards, touchdown and interception. His interception, very bad. His interception was very bad. Basically hit his free sa- the free safety right in the chest. Um, but, you know, uh, he played decent. Uh, I'm not going to say he played terrible, but he played decent enough. Uh, Panthers, they should have won that game. But again, defense kind of gave it up towards the end there. Um, and gave up a field goal to lose the game. So the Panthers should have won that game. I was hoping it would have been a blowout, but that was kind of my heart talking, not necessarily my brain. Browns definitely have a better roster head to toe than the Panthers. That should not have necessarily been that close. Um, moving on, another 11 a.m. start, 10 a.m. Uh, yeah, 11 a.m. start here, 10 a.m. start. I can't remember. 11 a.m. start here. Uh, 49ers taking on the Browns. This one's basically a wash, both the both metaphorically and literally. It was wet and rainy as hell in Chicago for this game. It was final score was 19 to 10. Uh, no, nobody, you know, uh, you should have hammered the under for this game. Once you saw the, uh, once you saw the weather, I think the closing line for the over under was 37 and a half. And that was still probably a little too much. And that's how it ended up. I mean, neither quarterback played necessarily very well. Trey Lance didn't play well at all. Uh, Justin Fields at least played a little bit better, but neither quarterback played very well at all. And it was just because it was wet. It was rainy. It was a really bad day out in Chicago. It was a very classical uh, football game, especially in Chicago for the Chicago Bears. Nothing kind of epitomizes Chicago Bears football than bad weather. You know what I mean? And they're going to be moving soon, unfortunately, to I think they're I don't know if they're going to a dome. If they're going to a dome, I know Chicago Bears fans are going to be very disappointed, but I think they are going. So, I mean, they are moving. They're not going to be playing at Soldier Field very much longer. Um but if they do move, I think they're moving into a dome and then all this weather stuff can kind of go away. I wouldn't be surprised if basically every team ended up moving into a dome, especially the northernmost teams. Obviously, Minnesota is still in a dome, but Seattle, I wouldn't be surprised, moved into a dome. New York teams moved into a dome. Uh, Buffalo should probably move into a dome. If Buffalo moved into a dome, Josh Allen would throw for like 6,000 yards every season just because, I mean, you make it a neutral uh, weather situation and he can basically do whatever he wants. I think it would be best... And Bills fans are probably going to get angry about that. Whatever. I don't care. Look, you moved them in a dome. You moved the Bills into a dome. I think I've talked about this beforehand in a, in a previous episode of this podcast a long time ago. But if you put the Bills in a dome, that team's going to go undefeated because Josh Allen throws for like 7,000 yards a season and like 55 touchdowns if you put that team in a dome. And it's just unfortunate that sometimes they have to deal with some really bad weather. Like we saw, um, I think this was on the road at New England, uh, on the road at New England, if I remember right, or it, it may have even been a home, but when they had that game last year where it was like brutally cold and the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour and both teams just ran it like 40 times or like 40 to 50 times each to, and the final score was like, I think it was like 13 to 10 or something like that, 16 to 10, something like that. And the Patriots ended up winning. And that was just, I hate games like that. Like, let's just evolve. We can build the domes now to make these games more fun to watch. And you don't have to do it with the Southern teams. Like you're, I mean, the Cowboys already have a dome, but you don't have to do it with your Miami Dolphins. They kind of have a dome, I guess, basically. Oh, there's a lot of Southern teams that have domes that not necessarily Northern teams have. I just realized that I just put that into my head, but SoFi stadium, one of the coolest stadiums in the league. Las Vegas has a, has a dome. Why do the why do the southernmost teams have a dome, but not the northernmost teams? It doesn't really. It's kind of backwards. It feels like I'm going on another tangent. I apologize. Let's move forward. That game was basically a wash. You know, take what you want, what you what you can from it. I guess Bears defense looked relatively good, but any defense would look good in that scenario. Um, weather will almost always favor the defense if it's bad weather. Um, 
And, you know, a surprising win for the Bears. Bears uh, beating the 49ers. It's a good win, 19 to 10. No, no, you know, you'll take that and take that where you want to take that where you get it if you're the Bears. Um, moving on. Another game here. Steelers, Bengals. Joe Barrow looked terrible for about a half of this game and maybe even three quarters. He looked really bad. Um, they were down by as much as 23 to seven, if I remember correctly, in this game. And uh, they ended up coming back and nearly winning the game. But uh, it was bad. It, it was a, not 20. 17 to three. Excuse me. They were down to as much as 17 to three in this game. Heading into basically halftime, uh, they scored. Bengals hit a field goal as time expired, pretty much heading into halftime to make it 17-6. Joe Burrow played a little bit better at halftime, but for that first half, he was brutal. I mean, the first touchdown of the season was a pick six, thanks to Joe Burrow throwing it basically straight into Mika Fitzpatrick's hands. It was a bad pass, and Mika Fitzpatrick took it to the house to you know uh, make a pick six. He had four interceptions this game. Joe Burrow had four interceptions this game, but he still threw for 338 yards and two touchdowns. He got sacked seven times, seven times in one game. It was a bad game for the Bengals. They ended up losing this. They probably should have won it, to be honest with you. Still should have probably snuck out a one. There were a couple, uh, snuck out a win, a couple missed field goals here and there for both teams, but mainly uh, Evan McPherson, Evan Money McPherson wasn't necessarily as money, and he had the opportunity to win the game. This was almost a tie game as well at the end, but... Um, uh, the kicker for the Steelers, whose name is uh, evading me, uh, Chris Boswell. There we go. Got it. Uh, he nailed the game winner, basically, as time, not necessarily as time expired, but in overtime, the 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 money kick to uh, win this game. So that was a bad game. Uh, TJ Watt tore his pec. That's going to be a big loss for the Steelers. They're still doing x-rays and stuff like that, but that's what they fear. That's a big loss for the Steelers. I don't think they're very good regardless, um, but that obviously makes their defense a little, uh, a little worse, clearly, uh, for losing the... Uh, defensive player of the year who had like 22 and a half sacks last year. Losing him to a torn peck is a pretty big loss for the Steelers. So they steal one basically from the Bengals. Bengals looked a little shaky. Uh, championship woes for the Rams and the Bengals. And uh, the Bengals maybe more questions than we thought coming into the season. Um, next game, probably the best game of the day, which I didn't expect. The Eagles beating the Lions 38 to 35. The Lions doing what they do best, going down early doing a backdoor cover, an unbelievable backdoor cover. Basically, they had the chance to win this game if they stop Miles Sanders on a fourth and one uh, run. They had an opportunity to win this game if they stop him there, but they don't stop him. They end up losing 38-35. to 35. This was a fun game to watch. A.J. Brown torched the Detroit Lions, absolutely torched the Detroit Lions. If you have a matchup situation where you have A.J. Brown on a lesser cornerback, basically a lot of lesser cornerbacks, and there are, there are a lot of lesser cornerbacks than he is as a wide receiver, but... Somebody like A.J. Brown lining up to Jeff Okuda, which is the Lions cornerback, uh, I pound the overs on those batting markets. I mean, this guy, he was just destroyed. He was basically, you know, Jalen Hurts' favorite target, and rightfully so, because A.J. Brown feels like he can kind of do anything, and he was uh, he was torching the Lions all game long. I think he had like a hundred and... I think he had like eight receptions, 120 yards or something like that by halftime. It was absurd. I mean, he was torching this team, and he was still almost lost. I, I mean, that would have been a bad loss if you're the Eagles fans, but... They pull it out nonetheless. Lions, again, best team in the best team in the history of the NFL. It feels like it backdoor covering, and they do it again. They're the best at that. And they do it, they do it again. They go down by a decent amount of points. I think it was like 17 or something like that. Almost come back and win the game, but they don't. They do the be- the thing that they're best at, which is backdoor cover. Not necessarily win, but they're the best at that. You know, hey, I feel for you, um, hard knocks fans. I get it. Man Campbell is the guy. They, you know, they had the big thing on the wall that just says grit, and he was pointing at it. You know, the whole season, basically talking about this is what we need to be. You know, that's Dan Campbell's thing. 
And it, they should erase that. Just take that painting off the wall and just put backdoor cover on the wall. And that's what he should point at. And just be like, this is what we need to do every game. And that's basically what they've been doing. And if that was the goal, they'd be accomplishing, accomplishing a lot as the, as the Detroit Lions. If they were trying to just backdoor cover every game, they'd be the best in the league at doing that because they still do it every game. Doesn't seem like that's changing. Uh, moving on here, Colts, Texans, our first tie of the season. This game was awful. I hated watching every second of this game, uh, even on the red zone. It made my it made me want to cry because it felt like the Colts should be better than this. They should not be a tying with the Texans. That's the game they should win, especially in a divisional matchup. That's a game that they should win. Uh, I was higher on the Colts than I think a lot of people were because I thought Matt Ryan was going to be able to kind of piece together what Carson Wentz could not do. Uh, their defense was solid last year. They're off, they have one of the best offensive lines in the league, um, but uh, did not look like it on on Sunday. Uh, the Texans team played their hearts out, and they probably, I don't think they should have won it. The Colts had a chance there to win it at the end, and then, you know, blew it. They ended up just missing a field goal. I mean, there were missed field goals throughout the league last year was or this on Sunday, uh, and it was all over the place. The kickers were not very good on Sunday. And uh, we got a hint of that for a lot of games, but this game, obviously, especially tying, usually if you tie in overtime, it's usually a sign that your kicker probably missed a couple field goals and um, both teams did. And here we are tying overtime. First time this season, we get a tie and it's week one. How, what, a, what a time to be alive. Uh, moving on Patriots at Dolphins. This is one of the more, I, I don't know if it's necessarily surprising. The Dolphins, I think are probably top to bottom. This is the first time we said this in probably 20 years. Uh, Dolphins are probably top to bottom, a better team roster wise in the Patriots, but uh, the Dolphins were able to, uh, I think thoroughly control this game for the most part, played good on defense. Mac Jones went hurt. I think he went out pretty, not early in this game, but he went out in this game with a back injury. He ended up, they ended up finding out it was nothing. He basically uh, just bruised his back pretty much. Um, but Patriots lose handily, relatively handily to the uh, Dolphins. Dolphins look like they're fast as hell. Tyree kill and Jalen Wall look super fast. I don't know if Tua Tungavailoa is the answer necessarily. He had a couple of very questionable passes, but uh, Mike McDaniel, the head coach for the uh, Dolphins, very ballsy decision going fourth and seven, and it pays off. Tua Tungavailoa hits Jalen Waddle on a crosser, basically, and uh, takes it to the house. Jalen Waddle dodges a couple tacklers, and he takes it to the house to basically seal the game on a fourth and seven. And uh, I tip my cap to Mike McDaniel for that one because that was a crazy call that he pulled off, and uh, they ended up winning the game because of it. So that was interesting. Uh, We'll see what happens with the Dolphins. I don't know if they're going to be, I think they're over under and wins is like nine and a half or eight and a half or something like that. I mean, that's kind of the most questionable ones. It really feels like it can go either way. I don't know if they're going to be a title team or anything like that. Title contention, just because I don't know if Tua is really the answer on that team. I really, unfortunately feel like he is not the answer for that team. If they had even a quarterback a little bit better than Tua, I think that team would be a lot better. I mean, I think their over-under would probably be closer to 11 and a half if they had somebody just a hint better, a hint better than Tua. Um, than I, like if Kirk Cousins was on the Dolphins, and I grant, granted, everybody, I mean, I get it. Kirk Cousins is questionable as well. They're game managers as much as game managers can be. But I think if Kirk Cousins was on that Dolphins team, I think they it's very possible that team would probably could be an over-under in wins, in, in terms of wins at like 11 and a half. I would not be surprised at that at all. Uh, moving on. Ravens, Jets, we won't talk about this one very much. Jets, probably the worst team in the league. They looked very bad. Uh, again, not have, they don't have their starting quarterback. Joe, La Joe Flacco out there, possible revenge game for Joe Flacco. Guess what? It wasn't. He played bad. The Jets played bad. Ravens basically cruised to a victory here. They kind of felt like they were sleepwalking through this game for the most part. It was a little tricky there at the beginning. They didn't, you know, they weren't blowing the doors off the Jets, but then they kind of just turned it off, turned it on towards the second half, and Lamar Jackson 
threw a couple touchdowns and just like that, it was over. So that was, you know, Ravens jets. You know, I don't want to talk about the jets. <laughs> um, commanders, they were taking on the Jaguars. Commanders won this game 28 to 22. Uh, commanders, they look pretty good. You know, I was impressed by the commanders. Carson Wentz looked pretty decent. Um, Antonio Gibson came back and he looked pretty decent. I was very impressed by Antonio Gibson. Um, they had a couple, uh, uh, John Dotson, their, uh, their pick in the draft looked like a stud, stud wide receiver on the, on the up and up, uh, Terry McLaurin. They still scary Terry. They still have on, uh, as, the, as their other wide receiver, but John Dotson looked like he was, uh, I mean, he was running crazy routes out there. made some really good grabs. He was fooling, uh, cornerbacks left and right out there. He was very good. I was very impressed by John Dotson for the commanders. And then, uh, scary Terry, obviously still a very good receiver. Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence. Still a lot of question marks. Uh, I don't, he has a couple of those moments where I'm like, okay, this is the guy that they drafted number one. This looks like Trevor Lawrence of old. And then he has a couple of those moments where I was like, what are you doing there? Why are you throwing that pass? Especially the one um, that ended up losing them the game, the interception. He just kind of just threw, lobbed it in the air and um, hoped his one of his receivers were down there and just ended up being a pick. It was a very questionable, questionable play by Trevor Lawrence. He has a couple of those. It feels like every game. And uh, then a couple of those where you're like, okay, this is the guy that we drafted. This is the number one overall pick that we were expecting to see. Um, James Robinson for the Jaguars looked very good coming off of an Achilles tear. If I remember right, Achilles injury at the very least. And he looked solid. I was very impressed by him. Uh, Travis Etienne, good runner. He had a couple, he had a drop that was pretty bad uh, from Travis Etienne. To be honest with you, he fumbled as well. I don't know what they're going to do with that, uh, that running back team or that running back tandem. I feel like James Robinson's probably the better option there. Travis Etienne is probably more dynamic in terms of, you know, the routes that he can run out of the slot and uh, a good uh, receiving back and such like that. So I don't know what they're going to do necessarily with those guys. They have a decent receiving core as well. Jaguars should probably be better than I think a lot of people are expecting just because of uh, the, you know, the talent that can kind of be boosted uh, because they're still young. You know, they can kind of just, it can kind of just click like that. And we've seen teams that happen with teams before, uh, just Jaguars team, just, you know, a couple of years ago when they were, on the verge of making the, the, the championship, it felt like it just kind of clicked for a lot of those guys, especially on defense. Um, but maybe we'll see what happens with them offensively. It could just kind of click. And all of a sudden they have a very solid quarterback running back tandem with a decent set of receivers and who knows what they're doing then. Um, but we'll see what happens. Commanders. They look like a very good team. Um, not a very good team. Sorry. That, that was a, I, I don't believe that, <laughs> um, but a team that could probably get on their over, uh, on their wins. I think they had like eight wins was the over under. And I think they could probably get to nine at the very least. The commanders could probably get to nine, uh, moving on four o'clock games, chiefs, complete domination. Cardinals look bad. Uh, chiefs beat the Cardinals 44 to 21. The Cardinals looked very bad very disappointing. Kyler Murray did not look very good. The defense looked atrocious. I was so I think everybody was so concerned about what the Chiefs would look like without without Tyree Kill. Here's your answer. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to change a whole lot. Um, they were able to put 44 points up. There were three-point favorites, and they just blew out the Cardinals. Uh, I was very impressed. Patrick Mahomes had an incredible day. Five tutties on the day. He had an unreal day. Um, I was very impressed by just this entire team. Uh, impressed with what they were able to do. Um, I don't know, not a lot to talk about other than it feels like they're kind of just back. You know, we were talking, we were talking over and over about how Chiefs were going to regret losing Tyree Kill. And after week one, it doesn't look like they regret losing Tyree Kill that much at all. And for the Cardinals, they're just not very good. Uh, I think that's probably safe to say they can't really compete with the teams like the Chiefs or anything like that, which is unfortunate because I put money down on them winning the uh, NFC, the NFC West. That's not going to happen. I don't think I think the Rams are a lot better than them. 
And uh, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be able to beat very many good teams this year, unfortunately. It feels like they're going to be kind of a 500 team that beats a lot of bad teams, but uh, can't really beat any of the good teams, unfortunately. It's unfortunate, but, you know, Kyler Murray just signed the contract as well. Contract extension, and uh, that's not a great start for him uh, in terms of his contract year. That's not a great first game. Um, Moving on, though. Chiefs, though, uh, not moving on necessarily yet. Chiefs, though, one of the best teams in the AFC. They're still competing. AFC, the AFC championship or bust for them at the very least championship, you know, superb owl. If you know what I'm talking about, Super Bowl or bust for them. And um, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I think chiefs are, it's going to be chiefs bills. Like I said, I talked about it earlier. Chiefs bills are probably the favorites just to win it all because um, they're far and away. The two best teams in, in the NFL right now, in my opinion, far and away uh, moving on here. Raiders chargers. Justin Herbert looks like a dude. Of course he looks like a dude. Uh, Derek Carr looks less like a dude. Um, he had a very couple, a couple of very questionable throws in this game that he should have made. Uh, Devontae Adams had a huge game, even though Derek Carr was not very good. Um, De- Devontae Adams had an absolute stagnant, a, a crazy game. Uh, he was all over the place. Um, but Derek Carr had a very bad game. He had one of the worst graded days from PFF out of all the quarterbacks. I believe he finished with a 42.3 passing grade, which was just one slot below uh, Dak Prescott, who had the worst day. We'll get to him in a second and the Cowboys in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the Chargers look like they're going to be solid. Um, I don't think they're going to be better than the Chiefs. They have a much harder, you know, division other than the Chargers. They got, I mean, they got the, obviously the Raiders and then the Broncos as well in that division. That's a very difficult division. And I think after this game, again, week one overreactions, I think after this game, I think it's safe to say the Raiders are probably the worst in that division. Other than, I mean, the Broncos still have yet to play, but I think the Broncos are probably better than the Raiders top to bottom. But we'll see. Derek Carr, if he shows up like that, though, then almost certainly the Raiders will be the worst team in the NS or the AFC West this season. So uh, Chargers look like they're on their way. Justin Herbert still looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, even at his young spry age. Um, he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's just uh, he's got a ton of talent that he's arguably got the most talent of any quarterback in the league, to be honest with you. It's not as well flushed out just yet. Like the Patrick Mahomes this is the Josh Allen's it's probably going to take a little bit longer. But he's got, in terms of arm talent and just the way he can just process what's going on on the field and hits, you know, hit openings that just don't look like they're opening. I don't think there's really much people that a lot of people that are better than him at that in the league right now. Um, so yeah, Chargers look like they're gonna be very good. Raiders maybe not so good, uh, especially after this first game. Moving on, Vikings, Packers. The Vikings put on a show. Justin Jefferson, arguably the best player in the NFL. Uh, if you take quarterbacks away, their importance, obviously, uh, of quarterbacks. If you just look at positional value, positional players, this is definitely not me being biased. Feels like Justin Jefferson is one of the best players in the league. He felt like I felt like he was open every time you look down the field. Every time Kirk Cousins unloaded the ball, Justin Jefferson felt like he was open. And that's just not. And that's not just you know coaching, getting him in open space or anything like that. That dude is getting open. I mean, he's running incredible routes. He's great in the open field. It feels like every time he touches the ball, he's going to find the end zone somehow or find extra yardage. I mean, he is so good. I, Justin Jefferson is one of the best, if not the best players in the league. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, very disappointing. Their defense, offensive line was kind of a mess. I was very surprised about how bad their offensive line played and uh, Aaron Rodgers as a whole. I, You know, their wide receiver core, I, we kind of all expected them to be less than what they were because they lost Devontae Adams, but man, they were bad. I mean, a couple drops here and there. Uh, you know, Rogers missed a couple passes just in general to some of those receivers, but we saw this happen last year where the Packers got blown out by the saints last year. I think it was week one, week two or something like that. And uh, they ended up, you know, 
storming back and Aaron Rodgers ended up winning MVP. So I won't overreact about this one just because we saw it happen last year. But the Vikings, I will say, they looked very good. It felt like they'd finally kind of figured out what they were going to be in those middle eight minutes of a football game that that they'd kind of lost when they were under Mike Zimmer. Um, it kind of felt like we were getting to a more uh, advanced version of an offense, if that makes sense. Just get it into Justin Jefferson's hand as much as possible, and good things are going to happen. That's what it kind of felt like um, they were finally figuring out in this game. So it felt good. It was a good win. Um, we'll see how far, how long it actually lasts. You know, I feel, I still, as a Vikings fan, I still kind of feel like we're going to lay a couple eggs here and there because that's just kind of what we've done the past two years. But we'll see what happens. The, the offense looks, you know, tremendously better than it did last year. A lot of downfield stuff, a lot of more uh, open space and stuff like that. So that felt good. That was a good win. Uh, moving on, Giants-Titans. This was a good game. Maybe an upset a little bit. I think it was an upset. Titans were six-point favorites, so yes, it was an upset. Giants beat the Titans 21-20. to A solid game. A lot of fun to watch. Saquon Barkley had a day with him being hurt and everything. We hadn't seen Saquon Barkley. He had a really good game. Uh, Saquon was able Saquon was able to get into the end zone for the first time. Uh, he only got in twice last year, and he already got his first one, so that probably felt really good. And he's a good player, and he's just been hurt really bad. He's been hurt the last few years, but he ran for 18 carries, 164 yards, and a touchdown, a 68-yard long. It feels like he's kind of finally back, and if with, with Saquon Barkley, if he's able to play like that, I think he can take a lot of the pressure off of Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones didn't have a great game by any means, I don't think. Uh, 17 for 21, I mean, very efficient, obviously. Uh, he did throw a pick. He was sacked five times, though. Uh, only 188 yards, but he had he didn't have two touchdowns. So good game from him. I was impressed more so than I was not impressed by Daniel Jones. So tip of the cap to him. Good game. I think he graded really highly as well. Uh, or no, he didn't. Excuse me. Ryan Tannehill graded really highly, even in the loss. Um, Daniel Jones graded on the lower side, mainly, I think, uh, according to PFF, mainly because I don't think he had as many opportunities as Tannehill and he did throw a pick and he was sacked five times in those opportunities as well. So, um, you know, good game overall is a fun game to watch game winning, you know, another game winning field goal, pretty much, uh, excuse me, game winning touchdown in this one, uh, with a minute and nine seconds left and then missed field goal to basically lose the game for the Titans, uh, in this one. So it was a good game, fun to watch. It's a lot of good football. And then we got our, you know, our Sunday night game and that was not good football. It was that, that game was boring. Uh, the, the Cowboys versus the Buccaneers. Buccaneers won that one 19-3. Boy, oh boy, the Cowboys offense was dull. They were not good. Uh, Dak Prescott was not good. He didn't feel like, it felt like he was missing a lot of passes. Uh, he was throwing a lot of bad passes, to be honest with you. He threw one pick, but he was only 14 for 29, 134 yards. Uh, sacked twice. He had a really bad game. Then he ended up getting hurt. Uh, and it looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks, unfortunately, because of a hand injury that he got from this game. This was a, this was a, this was just a bad game. This was not a fun game to watch. If you had, I had Tom Brady on the overs in terms of touchdown. That didn't hit. I had first touchdown being CeeDee Lamb. That didn't hit. And it was just, a. I mean, until the until basically the back half of the second half, uh, this game felt like it was just going to be a couple field goals, and that was going to be the final score. But Mike Evans did get into the end zone, which ended up being the difference maker in a 19-3 ball game. I don't want to talk about this game anymore because it leaves a bad taste in my mouth just because it was kind of a, it was a bad introduction to the new Sunday night football uh, team. We did get, you know, Sunday night football crew on Thursday. That was a good game. But as far as Sunday night football goes, this felt like a kind of a bad introduction. And Chris Collinsworth, he was like sick the whole night. You could hear it in his voice. He was recovering. I, I don't know if he's recovering from anything, but he had lost his voice and it just didn't sound good. So it kind of felt like everything was kind of off that entire, the entire night, uh, the entire Sunday night football game. And uh, 
yeah, it was just kind of a bad game to end the day on, even though we had a bunch of really good games throughout the rest of the day. So, uh, yeah, that was, I got through it. That was it. That was Sunday. That was football. That was football this weekend. Sorry if I, you know, I felt, it felt like I was trailing off a little bit towards the end. I'm losing a little bit of a, a you know, my, my, not my voice, but you know, my daylight, I guess is what you could say. Um, not literally, but you know, I've been talking for basically an hour and a half here. So I'm losing a little bit of focus, if you will. Um, but yeah, that was football. Football weekend. It was fun. We had a lot of games. College football was a blast. We had a great uh, a great set of uh, uh, memes that came from college football um, on Saturday. And then a lot of really solid NFL games on Sunday. So it was a good weekend of football. I'm excited to do it all again next week. We'll see where the Broncos end up on Monday Night Football. I hope they win. They should win. If they lose, then we got a couple question marks we got to talk about. And we'll talk about those next week. Again, I will be off on... Uh, the rest of this week so this is you know obviously this week's podcast but i will be back to normal scheduled programming on tuesday um so we'll talk about all the the bronco stuff on tuesday and, and their week their, their sunday game on tuesday um this next tuesday um so yeah that's going to be the weekend sports wrap podcast i want to thank you all for tuning in i really appreciate it um remember please remember to follow rate if you don't mind, on all those podcast platforms, the Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to them, make sure to hit the follow button. Please make sure to rate them as well. I'd really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, happy football, everybody. It's happy. It's great to be back with football. And here it is. We're week one. We've got 16 more to go, plus the playoffs. It's going to be a fun ride. It's going to be a fun winter. I'm excited for it to be back. So I'm going to be here with you every step of the way for the most part, hopefully. And uh, yeah, welcome back to football. Thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake.